right, well, good morning. We are in week three of a, now it's going to be a six-week series on the law, at least this series. We're going to extend, be praying for Ed as he uh, goes into surgery this week and recovers. We'll give him some time off. Um, so welcome back. Thanks for those who set up the chairs, more social distancing, and which will actually allow more people in our service. So uh, praying for all of that. Um, let's see. So last two weeks we covered two things about, we, we covered the, what is the character and purpose of the law? And then, and therefore, what is our proper attitude towards the law? And then last week we talked about what is the problem of legalism? What is the problem with adding to God's laws? And then how is you in your earthly authorities as a parent, a teacher, a boss, how, how do you create rules in your sphere of authority properly without undermining God? So if you've missed those, please go back. Those are hanging on the website. Um, and of course, we have a live chat, a live Facebook every week and chat if you ever can't be here for whatever reason. For those at home this morning, the handout is actually embedded there in the, the live stream. And uh, someone is watching that live chat, so please feel free to, to dial in your questions. There's a little bit of a time delay, but we'll figure it out. Next week, we'll start kind of a mini-series on what do different Christian traditions view about the continuity of the old into the new, about what, what specific laws continue. But today, we want to dive into a kind of a fun and a very deep topic. We won't have time to go really deep as much as I'd like, but is it ever okay to lie? So when we consider certain types of laws that abide, we often call those moral laws, what does that really mean? How moral is a moral law? Like, how extensive and universal is that law? Uh, and Christian ethicists disagree on the answer to this question. And so what I, I'm not trying to get you to nail down a solution and have some authoritative Spring Meadows position today, but I really want to give you some biblical basis to wrestle through that uh, on your own and come to conclusions. And ideally do that now before you're faced with, you know, some dilemma in your life. Because we want to be people who honor God. We want to submit to God's authority. We want to trust that he knows what he's doing and he can handle difficult situations. Uh, we want to be people who live by faith. And so that's the bottom line. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to bow before your word today. You are truth. You are perfect. Your word is truth. Help us to trust you. Help us not to look with our own eyes Help us to fear you over fearing man. So help us when we face difficult situations as Christians, not only to tell the truth, but in every way to bear witness to our Savior, to, to be willing to die for the faith, uh, much less lose our reputation, our jobs, um, and to endure hardship of any kind. Because you are true life. Um, Help us to grow in that strength and that confidence. Would you do that this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. So I'm going to ask my questions up front that I want to answer at the end. But these are the things I want you to think about. So when you, when you come to this, uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm using lying as just one example. I could put up any command. Like, when is it okay to kill someone? Um, is it ever okay to kill? Um, I'll, 
I could take any of the commandments and say, all right, here's a dilemma you could come up with. Lying is a good one because there's a lot of biblical data on it. So wherever you come out on the lying question, realize you're going to have to apply these things to, to everything. So w- one thing you say, well, what does God's word actually command? Do we understand what God has actually said? Is there a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law? Or what does that phrase really mean? Is, does that mean that we don't take the biblical text at face value? Somehow God has said something, we need to look underneath that command to really know what God's heart and mind is? Or do we simply say, well, that's what it says. I mean, the issues like slavery in the, in the Bible, right? There are challenging things in the scriptures. Are God's laws contextual or situational? Um, so, so then you, you kind of get into, well, it, you know, do not lie. Is that in certain circumstances and situations? And now I don't really follow it everywhere. Are there some situations that God didn't consider when he gave that command? If that's true, if you do see the ability to do that, how do you, how do you, this is always a good question because you don't want to live in some uh, seminary ivory tower where you can just talk about the world and it doesn't affect you, right? I'm sure Tim can attest to that. This is the real world. So how do you guard your heart? Okay, maybe I see a principle here, but how do you guard yourself from taking that too far and just pleasing your own desired outcomes, right? It's convenient or it's sinful. I've talked about that before about it's probably not always right to give everybody who begs from you, right? Some would say it is. But then how do you how do you use that principle? How do you guard your heart to make sure you're just not being greedy, right? There, there are some practical things you want to think through to guard your heart uh, in these matters. All right, so consider these scenarios. Is it ever okay to lie, to tell your wife those genes really don't make her look fat? <laughs> to tell your child you were really good today in soccer. When they were horrible, they should probably take up the flute. Where's Sarah? She's gone. Do you actually read the consent statements that you sign? I used to, I got over that. All right, more serious ones. Would you lie to the Nazis about hiding Jews under your floorboards? That's kind of the quintessential question the ethicist asked. Would you rather take the rap for someone else? Someone did something wrong, you say, oh, I did it. Is that an ethical thing to do? That's a, that's a lie. How about, is it right to use camouflage in war? Deception of any kind. In World War II, they used to build mock cities in Europe so that the wrong cities would be bombed. Is that an ethical thing to do for a government? Would, do some of you have a sign in your yard that says, beware of dog, or you have a fake camera up to ward off the robbers? It's a sign of deception. Would you ever fix an election to avoid an existential threat? That's getting close to some of you. All right, so some of the broader ethical questions as we wrestle with this would be, do the ends ever justify the means? Do the ends ever justify the means? And so I can say, well, I see an ethical outcome. I see a God-honoring outcome. Therefore, I can kind of choose my path to get there. Or does every step along that path something that needs to remain faithful to God and his word? And is it even possible to say something like, well, you, you can see some of the examples I gave in the scenarios. Well, I'm trying to love my neighbor. Right? That's the broader, that's the greater command, love my neighbor, and if I can lie or murder or do whatever other commandment 
against the commandment in order to serve the greater purpose of lying, loving my neighbor, that would be the motive, right? That would be the essential argument. So the question is, is that a legitimate category? Can you even say that? We're going to look at that more in the next couple of weeks, but if, if loving God and loving neighbor really is the summary of the law, is it possible to break a commandment? You can't really break a specific and, and, and keep the summary of it, right? It doesn't really make sense. So if you've not thought through these things, if this is challenging you already, that's good. That's what I want. I don't want you to try to even jump to, to an answer today in your own mind. So to turn to Hebrews 11. Should have had you do that already. So uh, John Murray lists at least 17 times there's line in the scriptures that we could wrestle with this, even more half-truths. I'm just going to turn to two of them today, and they're right in Hebrews 11, so it makes it convenient. But start, start with Hebrews 11, and remember, is all about faith. And so I want to start with what is faith really, because I think when this, the question of, sinning, of, of lying comes in, or any kind of sin, um, the question is, is, this, is every act you do an act of faith, or is it an act of doubting? It is a lack of faith. That's really what it comes down to. So verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. So faith is acting and doing things, believing things that are not seen. And, and it's with conviction. It's with the confidence. So doing things that aren't seen. So there's things we don't understand. I don't understand why God would say that, but he did, so I do it. It's, I do it by faith. Verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. Forever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So faith and pleasing God go hand in hand. It's impossible to say you please God without doing so by faith. And if you do something by faith, you do please him and he rewards you. And so when the scriptures talk about God being pleased and God rewarding for an act of faith, that means that action was done in faith. In verses 10 to 16, talk about people of faith who are, they, they're not worldly. They look to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So people of faith are heavenly minded. They're not earthly minded. They, we don't care about what happens to us on earth. So let's look at our examples. The first one is in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that, he was, that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, it's going to Exodus in the whole narrative where you actually see the lie that's in play. Now, this verse came up a few months ago when we talked about is it ever right or when is it right not to submit to your governing authorities? Well, and Rena asked, well, that wouldn't just be the only issue. It seems to say that it's okay to lie. Is it ever okay to lie? So actually the Sunday school is a direct response to that question. So in Exodus 1, you'd see uh, Pharaoh comes to the midwives and says, why have you done this? And the midwife said, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and grew their families. So there, there was the lie. So thinking through those verses in Hebrews 11, we can see that there's clearly certain aspects of this narrative that no doubt we all agree are acts of faith. They didn't murder innocent children. 
they were willing to, to not just blindly follow some earthly command. They understood, no, God is my ultimate authority. I, I must obey him and not man. They probably risked their lives, right? They feared God more than they feared man. Very clearly, any commendation for faith applies to those things. I don't think anyone disagrees with that. But the question is, what about their lie? Does the lie fit into that broader group that God is pleased with and rewarding? Did the midwives lie in faith? Wasn't, wasn't lying at that moment actually fearing man and not fearing God because they would be killed? Wasn't a disbelief in something that God couldn't do that they couldn't see? God could come in and do a miracle in that moment, right? Couldn't he save them, change the situation, change Pharaoh's heart? Or, so was their lie then incidental to their broader act of faith? Um, and so, and so this, this, the scriptures are being silent, essentially. So, so maybe, on, so we have two options, really. We have, they did this act of faith, they hid the children, they didn't, um, they didn't murder children, and God is commending them for that. Yes, they lied in the process, but we're just not going to talk about that. Right? The scripture is silent on that. Or, when God says he's pleased and rewards them, it includes that act of lying. That act of lying was an act of faith. And you, you quickly see that the question I'm asking is not a neutral one. Either, either it was a sin to lie, and, and yet God blessed them anyway, or their, their lying was actually an act of faith. It wasn't just neutral. It's, and if that's true, we ought to lie. There ought to be situations where God calls us to lie he will see it as faith, and he will bless us for it. So you can't just sit on the fence here. I don't want you to. All right, very similarly, the, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Again, you need to go to the Old Testament narrative to fill in the details. So in Joshua 2, the, the, the authorities come to Rahab, to say, where are these spies that have come in? She says, I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And in Joshua 6, Joshua says that Rahab was, was going to be saved because she hid the messengers. So the specific reason that they're being saved is because she hid the messengers. Again, the broader acts of faith are pretty clear in this story. Rahab had seen the works of Yahweh in Israel against her enemies, and she'd come to believe that he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. I mean, that was one of the reasons God displayed his works, right? His name would be known throughout the earth. People would bow to him and believe in him. So one, one reason Israel needed to be faithful and not take things into their own hands like when Gideon had to, to trim his troops down, right, to 300, God needed to get the credit and the glory. And one of those reasons was not only for Israel's confidence, but for the outsiders to believe in the God of Israel. Well, God has done that. She's come to faith. So she's clearly, one of the commendations is for that coming to faith. She looked to the heavenly city that God would build instead of her own earthly home. She was going to let Jericho fall. She exemplified what Jesus said in Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children or brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, 
he cannot be my disciple. She was clearly showing that the people of God were her new family. She was going to leave her, at least her distant relatives there. Really, when you consider it, it's amazing. It's an amazing act of faith. Um, It's amazing that this Gentile prostitute came to faith. And, And I also think it's amazing that God praises her right alongside Abraham and James, too. Are two examples of faith Abraham the father of faith and a prostitute it's beautiful and she's of course in the lineage of Jesus James 2 specifically says in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way so she's justified by her work again so the question is is what exactly was she was praised for why was she why was she justified was it was it including the lie that she told or was it simply for hiding the spies and you know she despite the fact that she lied so a couple things i think are worth noting is that a lot of times we're dealing with biblical narrative and that gets hard the bible is silent on some aspects of god's judgment it gets really hard we were discussing this week in the home some of the some of the stuff in genesis is just barbaric and it you're like God, why aren't you commenting on this? Like, you gave your sister for, you let her be raped, and then you're accusing her, and it's, it's like the stuff that we accuse Muslim countries of doing today. I can completely see an atheist coming to the Old Testament and saying, what gives? <laughs> what, what kind of barbaric religion is it? It's tough. There are some stories there, but oftentimes it's a narrative, and I don't know why God chose not to make a comment at that point. Um, it, it is hard. And so whenever you're dealing with narrative, you're, you're kind of asking questions. Well, what exactly did God mean? What was he commenting on here? And it's frustrating. But God had his reason. I mean, he's wise. He, he put the word to God, of God together specifically. Romans 7 teaches that our motives and our works are always a mix of faith and sin. Or think of David. He's all the sin that David had, and yet he was the man after God's own heart. And so it's very, it's very plausible that Rahab and the midwives are being commended for faith in general, and yet there's sin involved. There's, there's no act of righteousness that we do that's untainted by sin. And so the, I, I would say on the face of it, both answers to the question are plausible. Um, it's possible that God is pleased with the line as an act of faith, and it's possible that he's commenting on the broader thing. And so now, so now that's the question. Okay, so let's get to our questions. So your, your questions at the bottom correspond to the questions at the top. I didn't repeat them for, the, for space there. So what does the God's word actually command? So sorry, parents, the Ten Commandments do not say, do not lie. That's often how we summarize it, isn't it? What does it actually say? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So there, there's the question. What is bearing false witness? Is that something that's more specific than a broader category of lying? bearing false witness? Who's your neighbor? Is, is somehow you have to tell the truth to your neighbor but not to your enemy, particularly in a time of war? We'll talk about that in Matthew 5 in a couple of weeks. And of course, Luke 10, it tries to answer, who is my neighbor, the Good Samaritan? Psalm 15, 1 to 3, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. 
So we know the Bible is going to talk a lot about truth-telling specifically, but it's really a, uh, it's in the broader category of a proper use of our tongues, right? There's a lot to say about the use of our tongues, about not slandering and reproaching. Don't, using your, don't use your tongue for evil of any kind. Hebrews 6 says it's impossible for God to lie, as opposed to John 8 says, you are the father of the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We're going to be dealing with the next few weeks about the idea of a, of a moral command that, that comes straight from God's own character. And so we see in this case, I, I don't think anybody would put lying outside of that category. Lying, whatever exactly that means in truth-telling, is, it derives directly from God's own character. It's the opposite of the devil's character. And so we as Christians who consider ourselves children of God absolutely ought to love truth and be, be known as people of truth. And it ought, to, it ought to affect everything in our being. Ephesians 4, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth of his neighbor, for we are members of another. Colossians 3, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with his practices. See, we have, a, we have a new self that's being created in the image of God and true righteousness and holiness. So we, we are becoming even clearer image bearers of God in our new creation. And so God is truth. His word is truth. So we become people who are true and promote truth. Speaking the truth is just, you know, there's a broader category of falsehood in general. Proverbs 24, do not deceive with your lips. So we also don't want to go the other way and say, well, I can technically not lie, knowing that your words are actually going to deceive people. So I've often over the years, I travel with my work, and I'm only supposed to get a room right for me. I get a special rate because it's just me on a business trip. Well, I bring my family along, and they'll say, well, how many, how many adults and children are with you? I say, well, there's two adults. I don't want them to know the children because I know they're not supposed to be there. So kind of a half-truth, right? Is that right? I didn't lie. I didn't say I had no children. I just didn't tell them. I, and I usually follow up with a quick question to them so they forget about it. Is that deception? Is that, is that wrong or right deception? So, so we don't want to be a politician in our answer. What is the definition of is? Like, we, we don't want to answer in a way that gets us off technically. No, we want to avoid deception and be truth tellers. Yes. Wait, I need a mic. I know you need a microphone first. Mi microphone. Microphone. Thank you. Um, that made me think of the whole truth. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing. nothing but the truth. There you go. That's a great phrase. <laughs> so if, if you guys are like me, you, you, you scheme. You figure out ways to technically get off. So I don't know. I'll let you judge me on it. Well, 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 go ahead. Well, Where do we stop? I mean, is it okay to cheat on your taxes? That, that, that's the right question. Thanks, exactly. <laughs> What's the answer? All right. Well, hopefully we'll get some more of that. All right, number two, is there a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law? Are, is there such thing as higher laws than others? Does that even come to, into play here? 
So Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And so the Pharisees were really big on the, the tithing and the, the little particular details of the Mosaic law. And yet they had neglected the weightier, what, what Jesus calls the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. So there is a category, I think we can say, that they are weightier matters of the law. That doesn't mean they weren't supposed to tithe under their covenant. But does, the question is, does lying fall into that? Wouldn't, wouldn't we say kind of lying and truth-telling is already in that weightier matters of the law? Or no, perhaps justice and mercy and faithfulness can be derived at by sinning, quote, sinning, quote, breaking a commandment that, of course, would mean it's not sinning. Romans 13, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbors yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So that gets back to my question. Is it, potential, is it possible to love your neighbor and break a commandment? Number three, do we take the Bible text at face value or do we look underneath the text for the true intent? So what, what we'll see in the next couple of weeks is a little bit like there are direct moral laws and then there are what we'll call civil and ceremonial laws. There are other laws that have maybe a moral principle within them that would abide. So can you say that about something like lying or truth-telling? Is that, do you find a moral principle within a moral law? Does that make sense? Or is the law moral as a whole and therefore it abides and you can't touch it? Um, and God's expecting us to be faced with hard decisions, hard circumstances, and trusting him in that moment. That, that's the question. Number four, are God's laws contextual or situational? Um, one verse that maybe speaks to this. So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It, so is that, is that a good kind of guideline? Well, if I was in it, so if I'm in war, I, don't, I expect the enemy to use camouflage. So I'm going to use camouflage to him. Like that's an, expected, that's an expected thing in that situation. If I'm robbing houses, I expect them to put signs about dogs or fake cameras up. That's... It's kind of the circumstance kind of calls for it. Um, that, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's not a direct verse about it, but, and that kind of goes back to your neighbor. Is, are, do we take the phrase your neighbor in a specific way that limits who we owe the truth to? That's where some of the biblical ethicists get into as far as, well, who has is, who is deserved the truth? Feels a little uncomfortable to say that, but... You know, where is truth-telling expected, in a sense? All right, so, and before I answer the last question, which is really getting to how do we, what biblical principles do we em employ to try to wrestle through very specific circumstances? How far can we go? Um, I'll do that at the end, but first I just kind of want to open this up. I don't have a specific question. Hopefully I've raised enough um, you know, thought in your mind, like, does anybody want to admit where they come from on this, or how you approach this, or just be honest about your discussions, and wait for the mic, please, too. 
So let me just open it up uh, online as well if anyone wants to chat in a, a question or a comment. I'll sit here for 15 minutes, I don't mind. Oh, come on. Rakeem, is it possible that in some situations you're faced with competing sins where you either lie to avoid committing another sin, killing the firstborn, or you commit the other sin? That's a great question. I, I know it certainly feels like that. I, I think it's impossible to say that we are ever in a situation where we must sin. Um, now that's theoretical, but I, I, I don't think, yeah, I, there's always going to be a way that you would faithfully follow God if you understood the truth. Um, I, I think the pressure more is the justifying the ends of the means. I think it's, I see God cares about life, I cares about the Jews' lives, it's wrong that they're being killed. Um, you might even, some people would say, well, they're the people of God, right? So I'm on God's side. Um, but, but in the end, there's still a right or wrong answer there that either I'm going to trust God in the situation, I'm going to tell the truth, or at least maybe, maybe you'll avoid, like maybe you'll try to play a little trick like I'm going to change the conversation and, um, and not say yes or no, or you're just going to say yes on the floorboards and, and call for God to do a miracle. I could see that as an honorable uh, motivation. Um, and then depending on how you take these things, if, if you think there are circumstances where it would be proper to lie, um, then if that's true, then, then someone can do that. So I don't think, I don't think theoretically um, that's ever true, that you're ever forced to sin. Now you're forced to do things you don't like, you're forced to do things that in certain circumstances would certainly be sin. Um, does it, can anyone think of an example that would help answer this? Wait, microphone. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with motives, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I do lie. I'll try to be kind sometimes to somebody as you just got here. Somebody says, how do you like my hair? And my hair is terrible. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah, ask anymore. How's my hair? <laughs> oh. No, I, I, I think that's probably one of the first things I would say uh, in the overall responses. I, I think the first thing I want to do in, in all, lots of subjects I've covered, this is what I always say is what are your motives? I think that is going to be very true. And the challenge, of course, is you don't even know your own motives, right? We, we wrestle. We don't even know where our hearts, passions, and desires are come from. But that is the question. Like, are you truly fearing God, not man? Are you truly um, trusting in what God can do, miraculous or otherwise? Are you trusting that his word is true? That, that's the ultimate question. Where, what are the motives of your heart? And I think when you try to figure out where you draw the line, that's going to come into play a lot. But I would quickly follow it up with don't trust yourself. Like constantly submit your motives to other people, to other counselors, to the Word of God. Never be afraid. And, and this is, I'm jumping ahead, but that's fine. You know, we need to, to stand confident in being justified by faith. Um, that allows you to ask these questions. Man, 
Okay, earlier today this happened. I kind of justified it at the moment for this. Was that right? And by doing that self-examination, you're going to be more ready and more confident for the next time you're approached. And, and now it won't be a spur of the moment. Oh, where are my motives? You'll have a little more confident way to go. And I think two Christians sometimes will go one and, and the other. So great point. Tim. One thing that's helpful um, in dealing with any of these situations is there's something called perspectivalism, uh, which John Frame and Vernon uh, Poitras both uh, have, have brought to bear upon ethical moral issues in scripture. And they say that before you can apply a text, you look at the normative meaning of the law. What does it say? You look at the situation, not situation ethics, but situation, the context. And third, you look at the personal or the existential of the person. And so making those decisions involves all three. Uh, I took a course in seminary called Moral Dilemmas, and that was exactly like this class, only it lasted for a whole semester. And um, it was a very interesting class. Uh, I don't think we got any definitive resolution, except uh, you look at the situation of Rahab, or you look at the midwives, or you look at the hiding the Jews from the Nazis. Uh, Dr. Sproul advocated that some people have forfeited the right to the truth because of their intentions to kill or, or terminate or whatever. And so it's a wisdom issue uh, is, is where you have to make a decision based upon all of it coming together. And none of us are God. None of us are. Uh, I think to there's a difference in that situation given the midwives that was an act of civil disobedience, was what that was. Sure. Uh, but when you look at um, Rahab, you have to consider the context and all of that and what God is actually commending. Uh, you read all of Hebrews 11 and you wonder how they got that, everybody got... Got in there. Got in there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think the truth is, once we see ourselves as we really are, we're also going to wonder how we got in there. But Amen. at the same time... It's a complicated issue. I don't think you're gonna, uh, you know, there are things in the universe at, at this level, given our fact that we're creatures, we're fallen, but uh, in the process of redemption, we're just not gonna know the answer to definitively. And you have to live with that tension yeah, it, and uh, maybe suspend judgment sometimes. That's all I'll John say. Frame, who is one of the big writers on this. He says he's flip-flopped on this over the years many times because it is, it is complicated. Yeah, so those categories, normative, that I think we'd all agree, truth-telling is a normative command, like that is what is generally expected. And existential, like that would be this really crisis point, like the, the Jews in the floorboard, like that's a pretty extreme example. Is that what really what God meant when he talks about being truth-tellers? Um, but maybe it is, like Poitras, I think, would say he would not lie to the Nazis. He would stand, he would be a truth teller, and let God, let what happens happen, because is human life more important than honoring God and obeying God? Like, God is in control of that. Every human life is in God's hands. But others, like Grudem, I think, would disagree. Um, and then, yeah, situational. Go ahead, 
Dave, do you have a question? Yeah, I was going to um, maybe talk more situationally, more uh, on a lighter note. I uh, just started a uh, new job and was clicking through all of the things to do with healthcare coverage. I enjoy a cigar every now and then, and they want to charge Sinner. me a, a, like a, a premium for being a tobacco user, which is having smoked tobacco at all in the last 12 months, right? So I'm paying now 40 bucks a month because I, I, you know, I've smoked a cigar in the last 12 months, and I really actually struggled with clicking yes or no <laughs> on it, within that system to say like- I've had the like, exact same. It, it, yeah, and so it, it really like, but I struggled with it. And so I, I really, so then started thinking about my own sanctification in that I am, 10 years ago, I would have clicked no. I, I just would have. But you know, now I, I really did, think about that and said, you know, I'm going to tell the truth. If anybody ever asks, like, I'm, I'm going to tell the truth. Now, th I guess that's lighter. It's more, you know, uh, something that we would struggle with every day. We're not going to be, uh, you know, God forbid, hiding Jews right. from the Nazis. Like, I would not want to be in that position, right? Or, or to uh, deny Christ while my, my children are being tortured in right, front of me. Right, exactly. Like, you know, there, there, are, there are situations where I, I would hope to never be in, but this is one where I can say, there's a pretty clear path here. So, what was, so let's, let's think through that. What, are the, what were the motives involved in your struggle there? Right, I, I didn't want to pay the premium. Right. <laughs> and so, I don't so want people knowing about my stuff, you the know? <laughs> the point of lying wasn't some honorable thing. It right. was to get to out of money. some money, right? Yeah. So that makes it a little clearer. Um, I could see the other argument, because I've made it, <laughs> that that's not what they meant. They yeah. meant three packs a day. They didn't right. mean the cigar every week. Except they define it and very clearly. Oh, see, I don't read the fine print because <laughs> I don't want to know the true question. I protect my conscience by being ignorant. I do that a lot. I think Michelle has a confession for us. Well, I just think that one of the, um, I mean, just expanding on the struggle I mean you have something like you know you call Legoland and you're gonna take your daughter there the day after she turns three and you're supposed to pay once she turns three you know and you ask the person on the phone like um, you know she will, well, she will have only just turned three and they're like we do not check birth certificates <laughs> but as I'm saying you know we you're supposed to pay for someone once they're three you know you have these these predicaments where it's really, I mean, I was faced with that a couple of weeks ago. I mean, we're probably all faced with that um, lately with the COVID thing. And, you know, <laughs> have you traveled in the last 14 days? Well, what exactly do they mean by, you know, I mean. I always have a cough. <laughs> and, it, and it is um, really uh, confusing and frustrating because these, seem, these things seem like they don't matter. Or, um, my, you know, the confession he's referring to is, you know, I'm checking in on a airplane and I put some extra stuff in my car seat bag and they look me square in the eye and say you know do you have extra do you have anything other than a car seat in your <laughs> car seat bag and in that moment you know I'm like I said no and I absolutely had an extra thing in the car seat bag and I think I literally just lied to save $50 um, and while I think you know those same things um, you know can each be handled um, case by case and you know it's you can look at your motive, you can look at the person's motive that is talking to you and, and what they're trying to communicate. At the end of the day, something that I keep on telling my children is, you cannot 
make a habit of lying. Even the littlest lies create a habit of lying. And I always tell my kids, lies are like, give birth to more lies. <laughs> lies multiply. And so um, I always say, one lie leads to another lie, it leads to another lie. Next thing you know, you're lying to yourself. And so I think while that doesn't like clarify you know, things, I do think it is a good reminder to think we are like creating patterns in our life and you know you don't just start out by telling these gigantic lies you convince yourself right. that this little lie is okay and then this little lie is okay and then this little lie is okay and next thing you know you're saying gargantuan lies and you don't yeah. even realize it so while that doesn't like make it a black or white issue by any means i do think we have to like take stock of the habits that we have in our life that maybe little lies here and there are harmless but maybe it's also creating a habit and a pattern. Yeah, I, I think that leads us into our fifth question then too, to figure out how to wrestle with these things. Um, yeah, I, we're talking about greater and more serious issues and lighter issues, but in one sense, they're not light issues. We really are faced, I mean, those are light issues, but they're also the easy decisions at, at the same time. They're easy to see that our motives aren't necessarily proper. Um, and I totally agree with you. It's it's. I don't know if slippery slope is the right word, but um, in some of those verses I have there at the bottom, I won't read them, but I think there's a real, there's a real danger of, of that slide, of that, um, you know, we're, we're to persevere in the faith. We're never standing still. We're either persevering, being sanctified, or, or we're sliding. And there are some really danger warning verses in, in Hebrews and in James about about continuing to deliberately sin and and becoming dull of hearing and and your heart becoming hardened that's a dangerous path to be on and so if you notice it or a friend notices it and james 5 talks about catching a sin saving a, a brother from death because they're starting to fall away that's that's a really important heart issue so it's it i don't think we should make light of it um i i yeah demonstrating those little things what you're telling your kids is exactly right and so we need to listen to it. Yeah, Mark. Well, that kind of leads up to the tension we have between legalism and antinomianism. You know, we hear a lot at Spring Meadows about our damnable good deeds. And, you know, you don't want to be a legalist, but that does that push you down towards antinomianism on the scale or... Of it you know, being against law in general. Well, yeah. Yep. That, that, that's the right question, right? I mean, it's really... We seem to put a lot of emphasis on legalism here, so that means, well, maybe I need to make my slide a little further towards antinomianism. Well, hopefully being against legalism is getting me closer to the true heart of God, right? We kind of talked about that last week. Yeah. Is a legalist kind of violent? It's, it's an oxymoron in a sense. You're setting up commands that you can reach and look good and attain, and really what you're doing is undermining God. You're actually, you're actually breaking the law by setting up the... Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. So again, I think you wanna think through these things now. Like think through, you want a robust theology before you find yourself in a decision point, because it's gonna be kind of too late. Um, and by the way, maybe not at the airport, but you can go ask for forgiveness, right? You reevaluate a situation and go back. I have many instances I had to do that. 
Um, praise God that we're justified by Christ's righteousness. Right? <laughs> Jesus was perfect. Whatever the answer here is, Jesus followed it perfectly, and we're going to be seen in his blood and his righteousness. And that, again, ought to give us great strength. Psalm 19 we looked at a couple weeks ago. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your, your servant also from presumptuous sins. So we know that we are ignorant of some of our sins. We're responsible for some of our ignorance. Constantly going to the cross and laying before God. I know about this, and I'm sure there's things I don't know. Please, God, help me to be honest about questioning my the own intentions, the thoughts and intents of my heart. Um, God's word will do that for you. I saw Leah. Yeah. So this might be a bit of a big question for 10, 15, since you're trying to wrap up. 10, um, but the church we came from posed this, and it, it, was, it was something very, like, I had to chew on, and I, I, I don't have a conclusion to it, but their stance and what they taught a lot was that if a law exists that isn't clearly outlined by the Bible that your government can make such a law, you don't have to follow it. Or, you know, so like, so they actually were like, nope, slip speed limits. There's, you know, and, and, and obviously I think that's something we can all have very good opinions on whether it, you, you can have such a law. But their whole stance was if they don't believe that the Bible gives evidence that this law should exist or that God has given the government the authority to make that law, then you don't have to follow it, and therefore you can lie about it. So that's like their justification as far as, you know, hiding Jews. It's like, well, they absolutely didn't have the authority to make such laws as you can't hide Jews, therefore I, I don't have to follow Right, and it. That's, that would be some of the arguments, yeah. Leah, you got the mic. Would you mind closing us in prayer? <laughs> yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together as iron sharpens iron and think through your truths, how it applies to our life. Help us to um, be diligent to be Berean and seek your truth in the word every day. Um, I pray that we would all chew on these things as we go throughout our week and come back next and continue to grow on this topic. May you bless our time together and bless Keith for his preparation. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.